This show may contain strong language and sexual content. If you're a minor looking for information or help without all the grown-up stuff, visit our website at mygayagendapodcast.com for resources. This episode contains discussion of divorce and street harassment. It also contains discussions about the LGBTQIA community, but you probably figured that out already. It's right in the title. Monday, we're super gay. Tuesday is also gay. Wednesday is still pretty gay. And Thursday, I have a night class. Friday, we continue to be gay. Saturday is the gayest day. Sunday, yeah, it's still gay, but we also record a podcast. Hello and welcome to My Gay Agenda, an investigative podcast where we interview the queer community and plan our world domination. My name is Jen. My name is CJ and we are your co-conspirators in plotting whatever the heck it is cisgender straight people think it is we're doing. Now CJ, what's on the bi schedule for today? I'm really excited about the bi schedule today, Jen, because we have my friend Josh Hitchens here and then we're going to play a game, whatever (laughs) it is you've crafted for us today. (laughs) (laughs) On that unsettling note, hi Josh. Hello. Tell us about you. Uh, My name is Josh Hitchens, and I am a cisgender gay man, and I'm a Philadelphia-based theater director, actor, and playwright. Yeah, Josh and I have worked together on several projects. Yes, we have. Which is why I'm particularly excited today. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to guide us through your queer journey? Sure. Um, I mean, I always knew from a very young age that I was different in some way. Um before I knew what name to put it towards. Uh, And having been a fan of your podcast uh, and listened to (laughs) almost every episode of it, I've been thinking a lot about answering this question. And there's one thing that I remember that I wanted to share. Um, Because when I was really, really young, uh, I grew up in Southern Delaware, uh, which is a very rural community, lots of farmland around. And my grandparents, my mom's parents had a farm. So for me being, young uh gay child whether i realized it or not i like many folks was really obsessed with the wizard of oz um (laughs) yes and uh in my grandparents house uh on their farm uh where i loved to play there was this like old had to be like antique like dress that uh fit me and i would like put on this dress and go outside on the farm and like twirl around pretending i was like in the cyclone and shit because um, you know and i you know did that i remember i did that a couple times and then i remember one time i like went to find where the dress was and i couldn't find it and i asked my mom and my grandparents where it was and uh they said they they didn't know um they couldn't find they couldn't find it mm. and so that the reason why i tell that story is i think that was the first moment where i realized that i really was different and that this whatever made me different was perhaps something that i was being encouraged to hide or be ashamed of mm-hmm. um so that was that was like an informative experience being young Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we had just talked about this um, uh, during our live show with Eric. Uh, we were talking about like how there's a stigma across the board in terms of uh, gender expression. Mm-hmm. If you express a gender that you are not assigned, uh, but like in particular, it seems so against men who want to dress in like more feminine clothes. And which is even weirder for like a stigma against children doing that because like. 
Uh, they're a kid, like you know. <laughs> your imagination play. Yeah, yeah it's, it's important. It's, like kids dress mm-hmm. up and pretend, and mm-hmm. it's like that's supposed to be the part that doesn't have any rules. And right. Yet, but then it's like, no, you're not allowed to pretend this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And for me, like I realized, I I think when I finally became personally okay with being gay was when I was about fifteen, um, and I came out to all my friends. Uh, at school and it went really well um like even though i grew up in a very like conservative like rural community like high school was not a bad time for me middle school is a different story that was my those were my hell years um i feel like even people who did okay in middle school still (laughs) feel (laughs) weird about middle school yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know if i'm just saying that because middle school was hell years for me but i feel like everybody nobody's like hell yeah i miss high school Mm -hmm. (laughs) i miss middle school i want to go back to middle school yeah life was so easy then Um, but high school, when I also when I was fifteen, my freshman year was when I found theater for the first time mm-hmm. and like found my passion and fi- what I was meant to do on this earth. And I found this wonderful family of people in that you know the whole lo- the idea of a logical family. And you know I told my friends that I was gay, and everyone was like, okay, yeah. No one was surprised. Um, <laughs> wasn't a big shock. Um, and I told my sister, uh, but I didn't actually come out to my parents, uh, until I was 18 when I had left to go to college, um, which I have some, some regret about, um, because I knew that it was going to be a big deal for my parents, Mm -hmm. uh, and leaving my sister there to deal with that. Um, and I called my mom and told, and like told her and again she you know like took it very well and like wasn't surprised uh it was mostly concerned for me um but she was worried about telling my father mm-hmm. and so like i knew there was that whole fallout um and i've spoken to my sister about it since like do i want to know what it was like you know after i after i you know told mom what it was like at home she was like no you don't um mm-hmm. so i was like okay uh and a month during this time, I'd also met my first boyfriend and fallen in love, which was part of the reason why I wanted to come out to my parents, because I had fallen in love with this wonderful man, and I wanted to share that with them, um, because I was very happy. And about a month after I came out to my parents, um, I saw them for the first time because it was like family week. It was like family weekend at the college I right. went to. Um, so that was the first time I'd seen my parents since uh, telling my mom, and it was a really hard time. Uh, so I remember we went out to dinner or lunch at the King of Prussia Mall, and I sat across the table for my father, and my father would not look at me uh, and wouldn't look me in the face, and didn't for a long for like six months after that. Um, and my parent, you know, my parents and I have a re- have a wonderful relationship now. Like they've been always very, very supportive of me and everything I want to do with my life, and I've always been there. You know, even if it's parts of it they don't necessarily understand, I know they love me and support me anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, but that that initial coming out was a di- was a difficult time. Um, but we move past it as you do. We're, yeah. yeah. There's, I feel like there's like certain types of things that only time can really mm-hmm. mend. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and like especially like I I mean you are you you came from like a different time period than Jen and I not mm. by many years but yeah. like enough for like old, it's fine no enough for like like I'm hearing about how these queer issues are being handled in like high school and colleges now and mm-hmm. it's amazing to me because like it's it changes so fast yeah yeah. that that change is like instantaneous Mm -hmm. but like my experience is something that like people in like 80s 70s 60s like it was different for all of them too yeah um but i'm glad you found a safe haven in theater Mm -hmm. i feel like that serves as a haven for a lot for a lot for a lot of us folks yes do you think we're like drawn to it because we're told not to pretend certain things when we're kids so as adults we're like well now i'm gonna pretend all of the things (laughs) there's an outlet for (laughs) pretending i mean i think that's definitely part of it you know there's a part of working in working in the arts and really any kind of art that you that you're called to do where the you know that that thing that you have when you're a child of you know unlocking your imagination and creating worlds you know out of yourself is something that I feel a lot of people as they grow older and become adults are uh, conditioned by the world to turn off that part of themselves Mm -hmm. and you know sit in a cubicle forever Um, and not and for some people that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that you know but for I think folks that are artists there we hold on to that that freedom you know and that maybe there's something in that if we feel that we are born into a world that isn't necessarily what we want it to be or isn't necessarily as accepting as we wish it was all the time that through the art that we make whatever kind of art it is we can help create the world that we want to see and put speak that into existence um and show people that things can be different yeah plus there's like a flexibility of self i think that Mm -hmm. comes with Mm. performance Mm -hmm. because like if you're the sort of person whose job it is to not become somebody else for a little bit and then go back to you then it's difficult to have any other perception besides like i know who i am my identity is xxx like Mm -hmm. so on and so forth Mm -hmm. but like (laughs) With us, like, there's a lot of, like, theater artists, rather, there's a lot of, like, we have the capability to, like, even if we don't 100% empathize with our characters or, like, relate to them 100%, like, we're, our job is to find the parts of us that are in them mm-hmm. and, and to versa. understand. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that that plays a huge component in, like, why queer people are drawn to theater a lot. It's, like, you have the ability to change who it is that you are and like explore who it is you might be mm-hmm. yeah i love that <laughs> <laughs> jen who just did 12 night any comments Ooh. on that oh <laughs> you who mean were, how who were you i was antonio oh fantastic and i was already doing some like gender questioning and then they gave me uh-huh. this like old-fashioned sailor suit mm. and i was like oh hmm. well i have more questions than i did mm. before <laughs> mm. <laughs> And that's a great, that's a great play to explore those things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's awesome. All right. So what did it look like for you outside of uh, college? After college, I moved in with my boyfriend at the time. Uh, That was your first boyfriend? My first boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've only had two. Um, (laughs) uh, And we were, uh, we were together for 14 years. Um, and we, 
uh, got married and we got married twice. Actually, uh, we got married uh, the first time uh, on June thirtieth, twenty twelve, because we'd been together for um, all, for nine years at that point, and it was like we're. God damn it, we're not going to, you know, get to 10 years without getting married. Um, mm-hmm. So even though same-sex marriage was not legal yet, we, decide, we decided anyway because we decided it was time. Uh, and we found this wonderful, wonderful church, uh, the Lutheran Church of the First Holy Communion, which is at uh, 20th and Chestnut Streets, um, which also used to house the Philadelphia Shakespeare Theater, mm-hmm. um, with a Lutheran pastor who was also gay. Um, who like met met with us and performed our ceremony, and that that day was one of the most wonderful days of my life. You know, even though it wasn't legally binding, it did not matter. You know, to have family there and you know all of our friend all of our friends there, and to you know make that commitment in front of all those people, it was incredibly incredibly special. Um, and then same-sex marriage became legal uh, in Pennsylvania and then federally. And so we decided then to, on the same date several years later, uh, to get legally married. And we did it in this exact same place with the same pastor. Um, based, and it was nice because the pastor was like, these people are already married. Mm-hmm. We're, ju- we're just filling out paperwork, but they have <laughs> been married. Now, um, did you like legally fill it or like literally just like go to that church with that pastor and fill out paperwork or yeah i mean well did for, you have like a ceremony yeah we had we had a, a ceremony of much abbreviated version of the ceremony <laughs> that we had the first time ditto, ditto, um, ditto. you know <laughs> yeah um but yeah like uh we went we went to city hall soon after uh became legal in pennsylvania and got like got the paperwork and that was an extraordinary experience um, to like go and sit and wait in that room for the paperwork. And we went very soon after it became legal in Pennsylvania. And I just remember there was not a straight couple in the room. Like <laughs> it was filled with queer couples of all ages. Like I remember like in front of, uh, in front of us, there were these two old men who had to be in their seventies, maybe their eighties. Uh, and they were filling out the paperwork and one of them was crying and they kissed oh and I, gosh. I will never, never forget it. Like, and just, it really put it that moment historically so much into perspective for me. Like what, cause I knew what it meant for me, but like what it must have meant for those men, like how long they had waited and everything they had fought through to get to this moment. I will ne- it would, it was really powerful. I'll never forget that. That was special. Yeah. Yeah. It really puts the significance of like those sorts of things that like heterosexual couples like. I mean, not to say that heterosexual couples take marriage for granted. Of course. Because, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. No, it's it's a significant moment for everybody, but like there's a particular power, like oh. when you didn't just have the option to just do it when you wanted mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I guess it's not something that people I think in our like generation think about too too often because it's uh it wasn't that long ago mm-hmm. right but it's like I know it happened like shortly after I feel like I I figured myself out so I'd never like just really thought about it and it's just like just to think for a second it's just like oh my god yeah I don't mm-hmm. know I'm babbling but like I literally no, I, I like I at the time that it happened I was not 
interested in marrying anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's like a victory. But like, I still remember exactly where it, where I was when it happened, like on the federal level. Like, yeah. I know the exact location, and I remember exactly what it is I was doing that day mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. like, it it just felt like history was happening right then, yeah. and I was in it. Yeah. Um, and this it happened recent enough that it showed up on my Facebook time hub. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I know, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Yeah. I'll be telling your great-grandchildren in the future, like, it was on my on this day. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. said it happened seven years ago. Uh-huh. That is both really cool and, like, really sad. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Boy, like, our ability to just, like have like the it's really cool that we can access those memories yeah i'm not gonna be like technology um but it's mm-hmm. also really sad that it was that recent that it's on time off i yeah. think it was yeah. three years ago right mm-hmm. yeah about that yes oh, yeah. 2015 yes. yes it was mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. jimmy christmas yep uh-huh. it was our uh-huh. senior year of college that's how it oh, was. Oh, God, now you're making me feel old. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <sighs> it's now, okay. Now I'm... I'm at peace. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm freaked out about how long it took to get marriage equality and about the passage of time as a concept. <laughs> <laughs> the core concept of time. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. All right. Uh, oh. so, uh, so you got married... Twice. Twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know that uh, recently that partnership ended. Did you want to talk mm-hmm. about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, as I, like, like I said, um, my ex-husband and I were together for, for 14 years and we met when we were both really young. I was, you know, a freshman in college. I was 18 years old. Uh, and when I met him, he was a senior in high school um, at, and he was 17. So like we were incredibly young and obviously he was, like I said, he was my first boyfriend, my first everything. Um, and we had a really, really wonderful life together for a long time. Um, and like there were things like from the beginning in our relationship where like places where we weren't really compatible like we were just very very different people um but but we made but we made it work and we and we made up for it um you know and as time as time goes and as life does like you know people you know change um and the thing and the things that you want change or become clearer and your sense of who you are and what you want changes and becomes mm-hmm. clearer and it became I clear that we both wanted really different things out of life. Um, and that the, that the partnership as, as it existed wasn't really working um, or like working in positive ways for us. Um, and like we and we decided to to end our marriage for a lot for a lot of different reasons you know it's never one simple thing right um but i've been thinking about it a lot recently and i'm so proud of both of us you know that we were together for 14 years we had a really great run like not there aren't a lot of relationships that la- that are that long lasting. Um, and I'm proud of us for all of that and everything that we went through. And like he and I 
like were there for each other at the most difficult times in our lives and really helped make each other the people we were and to this be the strong people we are and i am also very proud of us that when it stopped working that we decided to end it um Mm. and like of course like with with that like there's it's never it's never a clean break it's never easy um and there was a lot there was a lot of a really hard time but once we made the decision that we were going to separate after that like we like we handled each other really well and treat each other with the respect that our that our relationship deserved um and we're still friends uh like he moved a block and a half away from me i live by myself now with my cat mina who's lurking around here somewhere uh (laughs) you know but like so i see him on the trolley when we're going to work a couple times a week you know we still talk on messenger and check in on each other like you know when someone's a part of your life for that long like they're always going to be part of your life Mm -hmm. you know it just changes that's all you know and he's someone that i will always love even if i'm not in love with him anymore um i will always be there for him no matter what um it's been hard losing his family um because his family uh, was for many years my family too so that 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 was something that I knew was going to be really hard to lose um, and with everything that went down I didn't know if I was going to lose my friends because like all of my friends like knew knew us like as a couple like we came mm-hmm. as a unit you know um, and I didn't know what that what the world was going to look like um, on the other side of it like if i would end up completely and utterly alone and i knew that and i had to be at peace with that being a thing that happened um but i knew that it was something i had to do for myself um to be to be the best person i could be uh because i i was not the best person i could be for a really long time i really kind of hid and did a lot of destructive things to myself and i knew i had to get out of that and find something better um yeah and not that my relationship with my ex-husband was destructive because it wasn't mm-hmm. you know but it just for for me i don't want to speak for him but for me it became more of a friendship uh instead of a marriage uh and that's okay you know that's mm. no that's no that is an okay thing too I think, like, especially, like, at the tail end of Pride Month, when Mm. so much of, uh, like, pro-queer messaging is, like, we have the right to love. Like, it's it's so much of an emphasis on, like, love that it puts so much pressure on us Mm. to, like, you have to, like, in order to be yourself, you have to be in love. Mm -hmm. Like, that has to play, Mm -hmm. that has Mm -hmm. to be the component to it. And it's, like, I also want the right to not be in love like i want Mm -hmm. the i want the right to like divorce and i want the right to just fuck for fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's like so much hinges on our ability to like be like the most romantically perfect that we have to be in order to get the rights that we have 
Well, and it's that whole thing of like, you know, I feel like society from a very young age conditions us that, you know, you have, you, you have to find your other half, you know, or like, mm-hmm. this is my better half, so and so. And like, it took me a really long time to realize that that is a lie. Um, because having, calling someone your other half means that you are both half of a person. Yeah. And if the relationship really works, you are not half of a person. You know, you have to realize that you are a whole person in yourself. And if you find someone else who's also a whole person that loves you for the whole person you are, then that's a great thing, you know, but that's something that it took. I just really learned in the past year, like that I, I am a whole person and that I am okay. You know, that, that took me a long time to find. Yeah. And like, I, I, it applies to everybody that we're also conditioned to think like, this is the, trajectory of your life as follows mm-hmm. you will meet somebody you will fall in love with that one person mm-hmm. you will marry that one person <laughs> and become a family and then eventually you'll both die <laughs> right right mm-hmm. that is not the path that everybody's on and that's not a path that works for everybody yeah. like maybe you d- don't become romantically involved with anybody. Maybe you do and you don't become married. Maybe you become involved with multiple people and you love multiple people. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it, just holding ourselves to the standard of this is what it looks like hinders so many possibilities in the field of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the concept of, uh, I think, relationships is already so like twisted in our society where it has to be like a very spe- specific way and that even like the only successful ones are the ones that last until somebody dies. Yeah, right. Yeah, which is ridiculous because like, people change and grow. Um, and like fourteen years is nothing to gawk at. Like yeah. that is a significant mm-hmm. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's like that, that. Yeah, it's like if something doesn't last until somebody dies, that doesn't mean it's unsuccessful. It just means people changed. Uh, it's, it's like there's society telling us like yeah you have to find that one person and stay with them forever and it's already twisted and then in the sub community of the queer community i feel like it gets twisted even more because then it's like we have all these pressures for that we're holding ourselves to and that mm-hmm. we think that the, the straight people are holding us to and it's just yeah i just we gotta think about how we think about ourselves and other people and, yeah. and plus in the in the queer community too <laughs> there's also the pressure of like you think like if we're raised to believe that how we feel is wrong and like that we're it's such uh-huh. a huge minority you think you're never going to find anybody uh-huh. so then you find somebody and you're like yeah <laughs> this, this is, is it. it this is the one mm-hmm. i found <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so like there's even that added pressure fam love's broken <laughs> <laughs> people, people make fun of lesbians for like moving in with each other after like how yeah. many dates but it's also like it's not easy for us to find each other <laughs> and then we panic sometimes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you tell us we have to stay in love with somebody and we need to do it now then get surprised when we stay with somebody right now <laughs> yeah like yeah well there's a reason for that and it's your fault <laughs> right society we, yeah i think society just needs to retool how we think about relationships in general yeah yeah 
Yeah, and I think that's that's very important in what you said that like just because a relationship doesn't end with someone dying doesn't mean that it's a failure. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm. even though my marriage is over, I do not regard that relationship as a failure. You know, um I think a fail like I think a failure is staying would be staying in something that doesn't work where you're not good for each other and Mm. you just end up you know old and drunkenly abusing each other like george and martha and who's afraid virginia wolf you know like Um. like isn't it better to stop before it becomes that you know when when you can still be better people like let it reach its end yeah yeah and and (laughs) celebrate and i celebrate it i celebrate everything that was and like even though i'm divorced like that like the day I got married both of those days will be some of the best days of my life like nothing can ever take that away from either of us Mm -hmm. you know that yeah it's always going to be special yeah well as your friend I'm proud of you too (laughs) thank you CJ uh so moving on uh what is something you want to tell cishet people for the last time and then you never have to hear about it ever again just get it out For me, I think it's that I deserve to be seen. Um, Mm. A big thing for me for a large part of my adult existence was in particular being so afraid of public displays of affection. Like Mm. with my, I remember when my ex-husband and I were like first got together, we were walking down South Street holding hands and like these guys started yelling at us and like spitting at us. And so we stopped and I don't think we ever did again. Mm. I was deeply fearful of that. And like everything in my life in the past year, I have made it my mission to stop hiding who I am and to be visible. Um, And with my partner now, like, and this was true from the very beginning of my relationship with him, like, I kiss him in public, and we hold hands whenever we're walking down the street, and I put my arm around him, and I want people to see it, because I think about myself when I was growing up, and imagining that when I was young and scared, and if I had seen a... a couple that was like me like what i wanted to someday have expressing their love and not being afraid to show their love in the world i think my life would have been really different so i feel a big responsibility um to be visible um and so i say to all you know all straight people we deserve to be seen whoever we are whatever our orientation or identity is we deserve to be seen and we're not going away. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I think the action step for um, cishet people vis-a-vis like our comfort to be visible and our ability to be visible, um, like a, re- a lot of the reason why we hide is for that safety element. Yeah. Mm. So like the action call, I think the cishet people is like, make sure that the queer people around you are okay mm-hmm. and stand up for them if they're not. Yeah, and I think that's a very important thing too. Is is the obviously the issue of safety because our world is really scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I am also very very cognizant of my own privilege because I am a white cisgender man. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm gay, I'm as privileged as a queer person can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
the dang like I am probably the lowest on the danger list as far as queer folks go um and very aware of that and i think it's important uh for us as a queer community and for everyone to try and make the world a safer place um for everyone to exist shall we talk about josh what's on your gay agenda um i think you know and i talked about it a little bit already i think it's to be to be much more visibly queer in my life and in the work I do, um, because you know, as, as I said, I'm a th- I'm a theater artist, and I feel like in the I've done a lot of work in the past that hasn't really been about my story or about queer stories, and that's something that I feel is important for me to do more of. You know, I feel a great responsibility for that as a queer artist to put queer art into the world you know whether it's something new or if it's you know a classic written a long time ago seen in a different way um Mm -hmm. that's something i definitely want to be more visible about yeah Yeah. i definitely noticed that um when you and i were working on three sisters together Mm -hmm. like a couple of months ago the story itself is not actively a queer one at Mm -hmm. all but i think that like a lot of the decisions that we made and uh like that you and Ryan made and like staging it and how we approached our characters and things like there were a lot of different queer elements to it. Uh-huh. Like I decided my character is Ace and Arrow, which P.S. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of evidence for and I will fight <laughs> yes, everybody about Irina. No, but... I think you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but we made a lot of decisions about that, like mm-hmm. in the room. And I think that it's important now when we're like working on telling these queer stories, like what can we do to make this gayer? Yeah. Which yes, it, like I say that half facetiously, but also like. But also for real though. If people yeah. are gonna fight us, we gotta fight back, and mm-hmm. we gotta use the tools that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, and some of the tools are text analysis. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> We also don't get a lot of stories. I don't know. I can't. I mean, there. Theater's always been very gay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's 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 plenty. Of, I say plenty. Well, I mean, there's there's a good amount of plays with gay characters and with gay stories, but like, there could be more. Uh huh. There could be more. There's a whole lot of this, a lot of straight plays. And, oh yeah. Uh, what if we just change those? <laughs> uh huh. Claim them as our own. Yeah. Yes. And write our own. Clarify yep. all plays. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. We want to move on to the game? Sure. Jen. All right. This is a, a classic with a spooky twist. Oh, goody. Because we all know you are into horror. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So these, this is all your faves are horrifically gay. <laughs> hey. I uh, I made a little list of classic horror characters. Because we, we've discussed some, some like, 80s slasher characters mm-hmm. on this podcast mm-hmm. before. But yes. I think we should go back to... Jen is discussing and I've gone, oh, cool, because I've not watched it. It's <laughs> 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 Jen having a lot of feelings about Jason Voorhees anyway. It's exactly um, that. Yeah, so I thought we should go back to our, our, our queer horror roots and get to some classic characters. So I will name them. You will tell us if you think they are queer. If so, what uh, flavor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Sure. All right. So let's start with uh, a Dracula. Oh, God. Dracula. <laughs> Dracula is so queer. Um, <laughs> and I will fight anyone on this. Um, here's why I think so. Um, so for those of you who do not know, uh, I do a lot of one-man uh, shows uh, 
a lot of which are adaptations of horror classics. Dracula is one of them. Uh, and in researching Dracula, I went to the lovely Rosenbach Museum and Library here in Philadelphia Ooh. that has Bram Stoker's notes that he wrote for Dracula. Uh, oh and you can go see them there. Uh, and in the note, and in the notes, um, there's he writes down like different plot ideas, but there's one that comes up again and again and again. He's like writes it down obsessively on multiple pages over the years that he's working on it. And it's on the scene with Dracula and Jonathan Harker, like where John, where Jonathan Harker is with, uh, the weird sisters, Dracula's brides or however you envision them to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in Stoker's notes, he writes over and over again, Dracula saying this man belongs to me. I want him. And in the published text, I want him is not there. Um, this man belongs to me is. But over and over again, Stoker's notes, he, write, he writes Dracula saying, I want him. Mm. Um, and he, Dracula has a much more involved relationship with, with Jonathan Harker than he does with either Mina or Lucy. And he specifically says in the book that he's only biting Mina and Lucy to get to the men to have power over them. Um, so he's definitely gay. Dracula's totally gay. Hell yeah. <laughs> I like this version because usually we are like, we're like, oh, they're definitely gay because like I saw this movie. You have a textual Oh, I got, I got receipts. And I, oh I, yeah. I <laughs> knew this and that's why I'm thrilled. <laughs> Citing the, the gay sources. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, how about... Frankenstein's creation. Mm, thank you for or the qualifier. Or if you want to get fancy, yes. Adam. Um, I call him Adam. Adam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Frankenstein's creation, or Adam, whatever you want to call him. Um, I don't I don't know if necessarily he has a specific sexuality, um, but I do think he is very... I think of the creature very much as a as a queer icon in a way um because he <laughs> he feels different like he go he goes through life feeling different you know and that i've also done a one person version of frankenstein as well um <laughs> and it's actually like really emotionally difficult for me to do um so i haven't done that one a lot because mm. it's a lot of crying um because the it Josh like Hitchens trademark. <laughs> you, I mean, you know, if you're good at something, do it. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, like like the creature specifically says, like you know, why why am I alone in the world? You know, every every mm. human detests the sight of me, and like mm. that that is very very identifiable for many of us. Um, yeah, but I I don't I don't think of the creature having a specific sexuality. I think he wants he wants a companion, um, and is open to whatever that companion might be. Like he asks for a f he asks Victor to create him a female creature, but I I personally think that that's because that's what he's seen out in the world, and right. perhaps doesn't know that there are other options available. Um, yeah. Hmm. Quick sidebar, Victor. Victor Frankenstein, the straightest? Or... No. Um, I mean... He's super creepy. Like, <laughs> like, cause the way he talks about Elizabeth in the book, like, you know, she's brought up as, as his sister, right? 
um, even though she's not. And like from he talks about from a very young age, like I began to think upon Elizabeth as mine, mine to cherish, love and protect. And like that's super fucking gross, dude. Like, (laughs) like he never. I never really believed that Victor actually loves Elizabeth. I think he feels like he owns her. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought maybe he doesn't love her when the creature's like, hey, don't marry her or I'll kill her. And he's like, hey, Elizabeth, you want to get married? Uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, how about the Phantom of the Opera? Mm, Phantom of the Opera, that's an interesting one. Whatever, um, whatever adaptation. Right, yeah, like that, uh, God, I haven't read that in so many years. Um, I need to read that again. Uh, the Phantom, I don't know, he, the Phantom seems pretty into Christine. Um, I, that's her name, right? Yeah, it's yeah? Christine. Cool, sweet. Yeah. Um, I'm remembering correctly. They say it a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he see, he seems definitely pretty, pretty, pretty into her and, and wanting her. Um but again, again, I think, you know, there's a, there's something about, like, this, the Phantom, like, as being someone who feels like he has to hide, um, that, that can resonate. Um, I think horror is very, very queer in general. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. I think I there's agree. a lot of story, a lot of our stories in there. Regardless of his gender or sexual identity, I very much relate to him requesting a specific seat in a theater not mm-hmm. getting it and then being petty mm-hmm. <laughs> then like fuck y'all gonna fuck this shit up mm-hmm. also you gotta respect the dramatic exits oh yeah yeah yes. and the fact that he's like you have to cast my favorite actress uh-huh. in this role uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> what what do you mean you did it you yeah. cast her <laughs> I want a oh. modern day fandom where he's like, give Meryl Streep the Oscar, I will drop a chandelier. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like that person does exist somewhere. Yes. In reality. <laughs> Luckily, they do not have power no, over no. the chandeliers. Mm-mm. The Phantom uh. of the Mamma Mia set. Uh, yes. Uh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Mamma Mia is the Phantom of Broadway. <laughs> uh. All right. <laughs> okay, my final one. Mm-hmm. Um. The Invisible Man. Mmm, interesting. It might be considered more sci-fi than horror, but... I think it's all of a piece, (laughs) you know. um, I think horror and sci-fi are so related, because they're about about, uh, the other, you know, whatever is other um, and Mm. unusual. Uh, uh, The Invisible Man, I, again, haven't watched that movie in a really long time, or and I've never read the book, I'm ashamed to say. Sorry, H.G. Wells. Um, (laughs) But... H.G. Wells, you're listening. Wherever you are. Known my gay agenda um, fan. Yeah. <laughs> Confirmed. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I know enough about The Invisible Man to give, to give an opinion. What do you What do you think? I would posit uh, that he's bisexual because by visibility joke. Mm, yeah, 100% here for that. 100% here for We're that. We're going to get to the part of our podcast where it's just like, ah, oh, here's a joke. Here's the setup. Imagine a joke happened. Yeah. boom Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my brand of comedy. <laughs> I, love I make it. the audience do the legwork. Yeah. <laughs> all right yeah no i agree with that i mean like i i feel like regardless of like any of these uh characters like actual gender and sexual identities because we can't like super know them because Mm -hmm. nobody really had the tools for labels or information about Mm -hmm. this at the time of writing but like you know there's still a lot of relatable feelings well and that's (laughs) the great thing about 
you know, about about classic work, but about especially about classic work, I think, is that you you can see in it what you see and bring to it mm. what mm-hmm. you bring from your own life, you know, and I think that's why those stories endure and why they're so fascinating to so many different kinds of people um, because there are things there for everybody. And yeah. why they're important to retell. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go support your local theater. That's right, yeah. <laughs> oh, and as we mentioned, horror is very queer, and it's all ours. It's ours now. It's ours. We own it. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. If you're Trademark a... mm-hmm. the queer community. Mm-hmm. If you're I mean, the Babadook, for fuck's sake. Like, oh, yes, the Babadook yes, 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 is yes. ours now. Yes. Yes. I own that. <laughs> all right. a real game changer. <laughs> Speaking of horror and theater, do you have something you want to plug? Sure. Uh... So I ha- uh, my newest play that I've written, my newest uh, solo show, is called Ghost Stories. Um, and it's different from a lot of the other things I've written that it is not an adaptation of the story of someone else's life. Um, it is the story of my life. Uh, and it's really kind of, in a sense, my autobiography of my childhood and the paranormal things that I experienced and grew up with, but is also about much more. Um, and... I did it for the solo festival uh, last week. Uh, <laughs> God, time. Um, and it was probably the most terrifying thing I'd ever done because it was just, it's just me talking about my life. I'm not like playing 15 different characters mm-hmm. or playing Jeff Dahmer, you know, like it's just me. Um, and that, that was like a really scary thing to do, but also very liberating and something I wanted to do, um, and was received really well. Uh, and so Ghost Stories, uh, is going to be at the New Jersey Fringe Festival, uh, from August 3rd through 5th, uh, as I believe another show that we could, should possibly plug is going to be playing there as well. It's not a horror one, (laughs) but maybe the opposite. (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> but if you're already in the neighborhood for this wonderful show, which I saw got great press and everybody loved it, um, Jen and I are working on a project with two people who have been on the show before, our good friends Jesse and Wyatt, uh, and we're doing a show called And Proms Tomorrow. <laughs> it is a... Uh, <laughs> It is an exploration of the biggest day of all hormonal teenagers' lives, prom. Yeah, so if you like prom and or ghosts, come to the Jersey Fringe Festival. (laughs) And that's running from August 3rd to 5th, and both of our shows are having multiple Mm -hmm. uh, performances. Uh, Plus, the festival in general has, like... An amazing outdoor atmosphere. It's like, so much fun. There's food trucks and live performances, and I'm actually going to be able to spend time there, uh-huh. which is nice this year. Yeah. So come on by to that. See our show, see Josh's show. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. real fun. Yeah. Yeah. Want right. to plug your social? Uh, yeah, as I always do. And I don't know. I, I... <laughs> uh, follow me on Twitter. I think it's at glitter goblin. Wait, underscore glitter goblin I didn't memorize your Twitter handle. I wasn't asking you. I was asking the universe. Um, Go to another episode. (laughs) Go to another episode. I have an anxiety disorder and I can't memorize things. (laughs) Follow me on Twitter. Bye. And as always, you can find our podcast on iTunes. If you're there, rate us and subscribe and tell all your friends. Uh, We can also be found at www.mygayagendapodcast.com and on Facebook as My Gay Agenda, an investigative podcast. We're on Twitter at GayAgendaCast, which I did successfully manage to memorize (laughs) after so long. (laughs) 
Thanks, y'all, for over 700 likes on our Facebook. Yeah, Yay. cool. We reached that like yesterday, yeah. and that was very exciting. Hey, keep sharing us around. Give us some ratings on iTunes. We love doing this. <laughs> <laughs> A glow- as glowing an endorsement as any. <laughs> well, we like it. <laughs> I like it too. You do a great job. Hey, that makes three of us. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's that's a crowd, right? We're good. Cool. All right. Crowd favorite, my gay agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Critics rave. (laughs) Until next time, put this on your gay agenda. Fight the power. Love yourself. Support your local theater. Yeah. Give us the old razzle dazzle for once. (laughs) And that's our gay agenda. That's our gay agenda. That's our gay agenda. We just want to exist.